Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What up, Puzzling Company? Jared here, and with me always... It's Zach. I need more certainty from you. It's Zach, dang it. (laughs) Dang it, it's Zach. We have not recorded... You won't know that, audience, but we have not recorded in quite some time. So, Zach, let me say it is an honor and a lot of fun to be back here talking about games with you. Yeah, it's something. What, now you got a bad attitude about all this? No. You're on another level right now. I don't know why, sorry. But uh, tis the season is what I will say to you, Zach. To be jolly? No, it's... We have like a few months of that. It's October. We're scary right now. Halloween is right around the corner. Uh, And with that, today, we got to check out the first installment of USB Escape. Oh. A horrifically fun adventure that we are going to talk a little bit more right after the break. All right, Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? With Soup. Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. In this section, as always, we talk about the games, and we always do that in two ways. We talk about what we really enjoyed, what we really liked about the game, and then in the latter half of this section, we talk about where we feel like there is room for improvement. All of this is for love and for betterment of the games that we play, not trying to be jerks to anybody out there. But before we jump into it, Zach, tell us a little bit about What is USB Escape and what is the format of this game? Yeah, so USB Escape, just as in the title of their company, uh, you are sent a mysterious USB drive that contains a bunch of files that relate to a certain case. Uh, It is a cold case in this scenario. Um, Their season one that is currently available is on the Not Family Chronicles. So you get this mysterious drive and a note telling you, hey... Uh, I thought you'd be able to solve the stuff on here, and I know you might find it entertaining. Yeah, I think you'd like it. I think you'd like it. Uh, You should look into it more. And when you open it up, you find a bunch of dates of uh, different files, and inside them are locked files. Some aren't. Videos, pictures, stuff like that. And you start to unravel a bigger mystery as well as trying to solve one as you keep going down and down the files. And that's actually our first like about what we really liked about this game was the format. I felt like it really worked receiving the USB, putting it into our computer, and then you can skip around, right? But you 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 can open any file folder and solve any file folder that you want to. It doesn't help you put the timeline together super well unless you do it chronologically. But I appreciated the freedom to do what I wanted to do, and I also liked how the hints were worked in there to the format, but Overall, I think it just, it played well from a format standpoint. Yeah, and another thing that I didn't cover earlier, but it will be very clear as we keep talking about this game, 
is that the USB Escape series so far is supposed to be a horror slash creepy theme. Yes, yes. So getting this mysterious USB, this is also one of the first games, other than I would say when we played ASPMC, that is mostly online. Yes. It does have a physical aspect, which is the USB. And the notes. And the notes and stuff like that. But it is, what, 95% online? Yeah, it is 95% digital. But what game. I really liked about that is that the... It's not like a plain letter. It's not a plain USB. It's clearly like a, there's a design and intent to almost make it as mysterious when you get those two things alone and then to open up just a bunch of random files that you're like, what's going on? Yeah, because you have to compare. I I think about it like, what if we had gotten a majority of what we had gotten in an analog form? Yeah. I don't think it would have played as well. No. Because a lot of it is, and this isn't spoiler, but emails, like you said, emails, videos, voicemails. And it worked really, really well. Even with two of us sitting at the same screen working on it, Zach was the one that was doing a lot of the clicking and the moving, but I felt very much involved in what was going on. Mm -hmm. Zach, tell me moving forward with the format, what else did we really like? Yeah, we really enjoyed the narrative that played into it. So to tell you a little bit about the narrative, when you open up the hard drive, you really don't know what's going on much other than it's about this family called the Knot family and specifically about a mother passing away um, from a botched robbery as what you learned to be for now. Uh, maybe more is to be unfolded. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you learn about that and you meet Owen Knot, who is, I would say, the main character of this of, I would say of, so. of season one or part one, yes. whatever you would like to call this. And you get to, from a almost cold case style get to see from the beginning to end of all the different interactions of Owen talking to his sister going through their parents' death as well as like realizing how they felt about their mom as well as their dad a little bit, but also the mystery of the stories the mom told them when they were kids and how that Mm. plays into the suspenseful or the creepiness that starts to really go through it as Owen starts to go through the house to get it ready to resell and work on it and starts finding things or things just start happening that are very strange. Very strange. And I think I don't want to miss this point. One of the ways that I really liked this game from a narrative and format point is the things that you're working to unlock, they unlock more narrative. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily unlock more puzzle content, but the narrative that you get really makes the story that much better. Like some of it is from way before the timeline. Like I think the storytelling was done really well. And I always felt like the payoff was worth it when we would solve a puzzle to get more of what we were there for, which was the story. Oh yeah. Especially as the game goes on, because you felt like, and this is a praise to them, uh, to Keith, um, that when you play it, you get like hints of things early on and you're like, okay, I'm, you're still trying to figure out the mystery or like what's truly happening. But then as the game goes on, you keep getting more questions. And then eventually as you start getting the more narrative openings, when you solve puzzles, I'd say near the end is when it really starts becoming revelations. It's like, Oh, and in the fun part too, about this game, which I don't want to spoil how it ends or anything like that but there is some open to interpretation about how certain things evolve through the game. And that's a lot of fun just sitting there. Like when me and Jared, when we finished it talking about what we thought the narrative was, but then also what it could be. 
in, in terms of like the open interpret, you know, like what we could interpret from it. I would totally agree. It was a lot of fun at the end to say like, wait, does this mean this? And I think that's one of the fun aspects of just the horror genre in general is that they don't always close everything up at the end of the story. There's always like, oh, well, the teenage kids defeated the monster or did they defeat the monster? Uh, and when will they strike again? Which leads me into the third thing. And I think this is my favorite thing that I liked about this game is the suspense that came from the narrative. It worked. Like, I felt like I was watching the movie a little bit. There are some videos, but I was creeped out. Like, I was thoroughly creeped out. We turned the lights out to play part of this game. I was hiding behind my note-taking thing at one. Oh, you were too. Okay, here, here, you the, were too. Oh, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. It was just funny because I turned off the lights, being like, "Okay, I'm gonna make it even more creepy." Yeah, for like us. we're really gonna go for it. And then immediately, Jared starts staring at his notebook. But then I said, "I'm gonna like." I just faced the right wall <laughs> and had like the corner of my left eye watch the screen, because <laughs> then after that, we just turned the lights back on. But it's not like a like jump scary kind no, of no it's and, not and just to like because i think that's a i wouldn't say a praise but it's something that some people don't like is that kind of sure jump scary kind i of think stuff. i think there's only one moment in the entire game that i would call a like, jump scare sure yeah. yeah a lot of it's just creepy or i think my favorite part of this game including just the overall feeling of it is that there is more to I don't want to spoil anything. It's hard. There's there's a lot of things hidden yes, that you don't expect or that. looking around for. And so nothing was funnier than us like exploring through all the files and the videos and photos and finding things that we originally didn't see and then being like, oh no. Oh yes. hell no. You know. Yes. And I and I think it worked the suspense and the narrative really well because uh, I the most suspenseful things obviously were the videos, but it was all complimented by the voice recordings, the emails that we were reading. And the videos didn't always, like you said, they didn't jump scare you. They It built, it built, it built, it built, it built. And then those payoffs at the end were just like, I even said like, I, I had goosebumps. I, that was my favorite. <laughs> you're like, look at my leg. Look at my I, leg. <laughs> just, I was just like, oh, it was just, uh, the suspense was really well done. And the other thing I think that amplified that really well is, it had almost a, what's the best? It, it had a homemade feel to it. It had a Blair Witch Project feel yeah. to it. This unsteady person, the, the video clips were from a person's phone and that made it feel realistic. Oh yeah. Like just friggin' creepy re realistic. And I, th I think that all paid off. Yeah, on the whole, I would say the format with the narrative and then just the suspense and the, the nature of it just really worked well for me. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Zach, on anything else that we really liked? No, uh, not like much more in terms of like big points. But overall, I think we did enjoy this game. Um, there was a lot of really fun things, but there is things like anything that we'd like to talk about rooms for improvements. And I'll kind of start this off. The first thing that we thought of in terms of like a room for improvement was the signposting. What we mean by that is that this game, when you open it up, it is kind of open to you to explore, but it is pretty clear that you want to start from the beginning files and then move on as kind of chronologically, chronologically yeah. through the timeline. Yeah. Uh, but it was kind of hard because we would open up the files and find a bunch of things. And we thought we would like get most of it, but we really weren't sure what was going on. So we almost spent like the first two clues or the first two like puzzles, like, being like, okay, what am I supposed to really do with this? I knew that, that we needed a password because that's one of the things is some of the hidden files you need to get passwords for. So we knew that was like our solution. But we just had no idea of like, 
okay, there's interesting things in this video and this in this photo, but what am I really supposed to take from it? Yeah. And and it's hard because you could argue that it's more on that reason because some of the clues were kind of on the simpler side when we really actually realized what it was. But because there's no signposting like, hey, you're looking through these to get this. In terms of we knew what we were looking for, but we just had no idea for the first one or two how it actually worked. We had to spend like using a hint just to realize like, oh, that's what we were looking for. And then we'd get it. Right. And it was not like crazy difficult, but it was just like a, it felt like we wasted two minutes because we just had no idea of how this game played. And that's, and then that's the one of the purposes of signposting, right? Is it is intended to clue you to making a connection between things that you don't know are supposed to connect. Mm. And we didn't get a whole lot of that at the beginning of the game. And a little bit of that is we we really weren't onboarded a quick win yeah. either. You were kind of just thrown in there and had to go with it. I think a quick win at the beginning of the game, one, it gives the player confidence, but two, it allows you to teach them your style of puzzling a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we honestly burnt a, a lot of hints the first two puzzles just because we weren't sure how Keith was really trying to get us to go. And that's okay. The other thing I will say that complicated that in some ways that I would say more experienced puzzlers can work their way around that is if you know what type of input you're looking for, well, then you can start limiting things down. But when it's a alphanumeric password that you don't know how many digits yeah. it needs, then it could be anything. Yeah. Right. And as the game progressed, it really could. Some of the inputs are not traditional yeah. answers or inputs. So I agree with you. The early signposting, it needed to be more clear about, hey, what you're looking at in this document, nudge me towards putting it together. Because I will say the puzzles weren't bad. No. There wasn't a bad puzzle that we played, but they needed help, especially early on saying this is connected to this. Yeah, I would say after like the third or fourth puzzles when we like it all clicked in terms of what we knew we were trying to look for or at least had more options available in our mind of what it could be. Yes. So, and then it started to it become easier. Right. But like you said, because there's not an early, like early win or a signpost being like, Hey, this is how it's going to really play. Sure. Yeah. And I think it would be easy to say right now and, and write it off as like, Oh, well that's any game. Like you're going to burn, but you weren't given a whole lot of direction that like could puzzle material be in one folder used in another folder. Yeah. Like there was nothing guiding you towards doing that. So we weren't sure if everything was self-contained, explorative. And again, if you show us at the beginning that it is self-contained or if you teach us how you want us to think, I think you just set all players in a better direction. Sure. Yep. The second thing that I would say, and this was probably, I feel like the biggest room for improvement with this game, is the puzzling felt shoehorned. A lot of the things that we were solving didn't feel very native to the storyline that was going on. And that not, that's not every puzzle. There are examples in this game. I'm thinking of, um, I'll call it a, I don't want to ruin too much, like a voodoo puzzle that we ran into that was left on our front door, mm -hmm. shall we say. That felt organic. Yeah. That felt like it belonged there. But there was a lot of other puzzles throughout the game that it was like, I, I don't think that type of decoding or that type of puzzle or that type of working should exist in this story. It didn't feel authentic. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly like parts that I would say early on, it's funny, I actually think early on it did it better. And then at the end, it felt, specifically with a few of them at the end, 
felt really shoehorned in terms of like, okay, we've built up to the ending, which has like a really big narrative feel and like creepiness. And then without spoiling it, there's just a part that kind of abruptly changes how you view something. And then you're like, okay. And we kind of <laughs> laughed about it. Cause we we're like, that's just an interesting thing to randomly see in this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it, but that that's could be like a problem for someone is that you could, you could feel super creeped out. And then out of nowhere, it just goes, boom, here's this. And you're like, what? And then it goes, boom, back to this. And then yeah. boom, this, and, and it, it, it just feels like abrupt changes in theme even though it's supposed to still be a little creepy, but it's just different. It is. And it, it broke the immersion was with the one that you're specifically talking about. Yeah. I was ready. I had my popcorn. Like I was ready to like, we saw get, the timer on the video yeah, and we were like, we were Oh like, no. I was, I was ready to, to get scared. Yeah. Let's say. And there was a puzzle in the midst of that. That was just way, it felt way out of place. Yeah. In my opinion. But again, not a bad puzzle. Oh, agreed. Not a just bad puzzle. Just not authentic or appropriate to where the game was meeting the narrative. Yeah. I felt like. Zach, tell us about um, our last uh, room for improvement. Yeah. So our last one is kind of with the hint system. Um, we liked how the hint system was formatted into the game. Yes. Our only issue is that the hint system, it, it doesn't give you a direct answer if you get stuck. So what I mean by that is like, you know, some people offer in their hint systems a the answer. They're like, hey, like you shouldn't look at this, but this is the solution if you're truly stuck. Uh, in this game, it does not offer the direct answer, at least not that I remember the clues that we did look at. And we looked at a lot early on. Um, it was mostly like three hints that built, you yes. know, like novice, you know, like made it like really right. difficult. Like it was tiered. Vague to really. Yeah. It was obvious. a good, it was a good tiered. It was system. good, but the issue became like, what if we still just didn't get like when we were playing early on and we were using hence to try to understand how the game played, what happens if we just didn't get it? Like, do we contact, you know, Keith and figure out what's going on? You know, cause that would have taken away from us being like, okay, like it would have taken us out of it. But I also get why that could be a thing. Cause this is like a really small thing, at least for us, but it could be someone's issue where they're like, okay, I'm just not getting this puzzle at all. And then they see there's no like real answer. And then you're like, crap. And then you have to, you know, potentially email someone. You have to wait to see if they get a response. And I don't, don't get me wrong. When I've talked to the creator, he's been awesome about responding. But I don't know if like in the scenario, if I was someone like a new player to this and how that would make you feel to like. Right. Especially like you don't want to wait with a, with a yeah. really great story and narrative like this. I don't want to wait to have to contact the creator to get an answer. Yeah. The, the other problematic point of this for me is the answers play directly into an optional meta puzzle Yes, at the end of the game. And if you were without one or two of those, you don't get a really cool, in my opinion, finish yeah. to this game. Uh, and it comes back to what we talk about. Like, and you know, I've said this so many times, Zach, let people play the game that they want to play it. Mm -hmm. If for whatever reason they want to buy your product and just look at all of the answers and finish the game in three minutes, I don't know why anyone in the world would do that. That's their prerogative though. Yeah. Like let them do that. So I just always encourage creators to tier their hint systems. I think you would agree with me on that mm -hmm. and give the answer. Like we may just be so stuck like we, or we may just be having a bad puzzling day and I feel like we really need that just so that there's no roadblocks. Yeah. Anything in closing out our section? No. 
Jared will tell you, I think I had a, I had a lot of fun with this game. I thought the, the way it made us feel was just fun. I, I enjoyed almost watching Jared like squeam around as we were trying to get to the creepy parts. Definitely play this game with someone. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's definitely a blast. It's, I would almost say it was worth it. Just watching Jared be scared. That, that was kind of, you're fun. making me out to be the scaredy cat here. And I'm pretty sure that I watched more of that original video than you did. That's fine. But I, I didn't, <laughs> here's the thing though. I didn't act as, Oh, I was true. I, I talk, I'm that person in the movie theater during a horror movie. Oh yeah. That's like, that's not your mama. Like your mama died three hours ago. Like that ain't your mama. That's the devil. That's a, <laughs> I, I can't help that. So yes, if that's what you're talking about, I am very verbal about my fear. That's true. <laughs> but that's going to wrap us up for our first section. Puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. <sighs> I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room-style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is puzzles to the people. In this section, boy, that's how I always get to explain it because it's just a fun time for me. Uh, in this part, depending on how Jared feels the week, uh, he decides to go and look at people's reviews or uh, kind of looks up stuff about the game or we kind of make questions to ask me first and kind of discuss a back and forth of like topics that involve around the game itself or themes around it or the community as a whole. And it's kind of just a fun discussion point to kind of see how we feel about topics and kind of open up discussions for you guys as well at home. Well, as always, I've got a crazy topic to talk about with you. Oh, excellent. I'm going to let you pick. Okay. I have two really great things that I think we can talk about. Okay. So in the true horror fashion, do you choose door A and deal with the monster behind it? Or would you like door B and the monster behind it? Is there any hints of what the door looks like? Absolutely not. Okay. So there's both white doors that have something behind them. I don't know what it is. Absolutely. Oh, door A. Let's go for it. Door A. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to you about the horror genre okay, and how it fits into and plays, in my opinion, a pretty good role into the puzzly games that we play. Okay. So my first question is just based on today's game that we played. Did you, or did you not? Because this is a very divisive genre for a lot of people. Some mm -hmm. people will not play a horror game. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's their favorite thing in the entire world. So we see the same thing in the escape room world, right? Mm -hmm. How did you feel like the horror genre worked in the puzzle world? Just to give background, I am a person that does not like horror. I am not a fan of going to any like uh, haunted houses. I don't like doing Halloween stuff. I like going to Halloween to get candy and hang out with friends and stuff like that. But I don't, I'm not a big fan of horror. I don't like jump scares. I don't like horror movies. I it's funny. I actually like narrative and horror movies, but I don't like the creepiness of horror movies. 
So I watched some good YouTube videos about those. But anyways, I actually thought it worked quite well in this game. Uh, we haven't played many that include like a horror element. We have played another game by Cracking on Mysteries that does have a horror element in terms of that it's like creepy as well, stuff like that. But those are the only two I think we've played that have had like a true like creepy element to them. Yes. Um, but in both those games, as well as The Messenger, that one has like a kind of an element of that to it. I too. would say so, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, just to say there are other games we've played that have had small elements of that. Um, I think it works well because I think the thing that people like about those is that they are pretty immersive. They make you feel like you're a victim and it's kind of that weird feeling of like you're what, and it's also that adrenaline you get. It's the, that's why people will sometimes like the jump scares or the, the scare of like, you don't know what's behind something because you're just waiting for it to show up and scare you. And then you're, you know, your adrenaline starts pumping like mad. Um, so I get why people like it. And I, and I thought it worked well in this game, and I could see how some other games could do even cooler things as well, or like how maybe in the future with like USB escape or whoever, there could be some really fun elements of making things even creepier or having new themes that play around it. I think the hard part is making clues fit into it that don't feel out of place. And I, I don't know, because we, like, so we haven't played many that have that element, but I could see how traditional puzzles, unless they're masked extremely well, are going to feel out of place. Sure. You know, if you're like trying to want to run away from this serial killer and you run into a wall that has a, a traditional Sudoku puzzle, you're like, <laughs> what? You know, and I'm not saying anyone's done that, but that's how, you know. Solve the Sudoku or it's <laughs> over for you. I'll stand behind you with my knife. I'm ready whenever you fail this. You know, I, I could see how some traditional puzzles would feel weird. That's all I could feel right now, at least, on, on my opinion about it. I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of room for potential, Yeah, is my honest assessment, because I'm similar to you in some way. I will go do a haunted house. Uh, Movie-wise, horror genre is not my favorite. Yeah. Um, there's some I'll see, there's some I'll don't. I generally like the suspense, as well as I think there's some good stories. Oh, that's what I mean. I love narratives in them. Yeah, in, in, some, in some horror flicks as well. But I do, uh, I do think that there is some room for this. And comparatively to the escaper world, it seems like an underserved or an underpercentaged genre. Whereas in the escape room world, there's a lot of horror rooms, but there have not been a whole lot that you and I have played. Like you said, we played Dollhouse. Oh, Dollhouse, yeah, true. Dollhouse is another one. Messenger has kind of tapped into that a little bit. We will be reviewing one of our favorite games in the new year. Yes, I'm excited. From Crack and Nut. So, but percentagely, I feel like there's just not as much of it. And I'm wondering if it is that very thing that you mentioned. Is that easier to do in an escape room? Is horror easier to do in an escape room than it is in a at-home game? Yes, because I think you are trapped into a space that you can create you know, like it, I can set up, you know, in the escape room world, you can set up an experience that makes you feel stuck in it and the environment around it changes to that, that of what you want it to be. So you feel almost hopeless in, in terms of like if you want to feel like you are wanting to be scared, right, or feel that creepiness. While I think at home, it is up to the player to decide that to a degree. Really? In, in terms of... I think you could create really cool games that are creepy or horror, 
But the moment that you don't want to, I can stop it. I mean, obviously you can do that in an escape room. You can be like, I'm done. Sure, I want you, out. Could, you could walk out. Sure. But I, I feel like it's harder to achieve that or it feels harder to just make that jump out than when you're at home because at any moment I could just go, okay, I'm reading this creepy journal. I don't care. I'm just going to close the journal. Now, a good creator will make that journal interesting or the video or the picture to where you feel like you have to keep looking. So... It is definitely doable. And I would say when we played USB Escape, there were definitely elements of that that I felt like nothing was more interesting than like looking at a photo and then Jared would be trying to help me solve the puzzle. And then you just, Jared would look over at me and I'm just zooming in at parts of the picture to see if I find <laughs> things. And sometimes we did and it was great. Uh, a good creator could make you stay immersed. But I think the hard part is at home, you don't have the environment. You have to build the environment almost more difficult than an escape room does. Does that make sense? I, I guess? think so. So let's flesh that out a little bit then. Sure. So then what elements would you recommend playing into more than others? Like, like I would say you've got to, you've got to have video. Yeah. I think videos are like photo. I, it's hard because I think writing can be really good. Yes. Like in a lot of the games we played, the writing really plays into it well, but I think videos and audio really have to play into it. Right. If you're gamifying it versus just storytelling, because obviously Stephen King has made billions of dollars oh, correct. off of good writing, writing horror fiction. Good horror fiction yeah, works. Where you're imagining this horrible stuff happening, but generally but for, you don't have that long in a game to correct. get that point across. Yeah. And, but in the game, like the the things that kept us super immersed were the videos and stuff like that. Like reading the creepy articles and the emails and figuring out like how they're feeling with the scenario and stuff like that. But when we got to the pictures and, and video and the audio, it was when it really was like, oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna like stare off at the wall and not look at this because I know something's gonna pop up or something might move in the background or Absolutely. whatever. Uh and yeah, I think you just have to play into the I would almost say you just play more in the online elements. In terms of the games that require video or stuff like that, or if you give them like a DVD or whatever the company decides to use as their tools sure, or the medium to accomplish that. Right. You almost have to lean in, in my opinion, lean into one more heavily. Because as I mentioned, we're going to review Root of All Evil. Spoiler is going to be our first episode of our second year coming up in January. Mm -hmm. That game doesn't have any media. Nope. None. But it's fantastic. Yeah, they what Kraken I was able to do with the journal was very phenomenal right. in terms of it almost made me feel as if I was watching a video, you know, it was up to my interpretation to just like make that connection right. or to really embrace it. Sure. But if it's written well enough, then I embrace it anyways. Right. Cause you're not, I'm not going to forget the USB escape story. I'm not going to forget the root of all evil story, but they both went at it from completely different contexts. Yeah. So what else would you then say if you're going to make a good at-home horror game, you need to have this in it so that you limit the opportunity for immersion being broken? You need to make the game, I don't know if this is the right word, I would say self-contained. I think you need to keep people inside the space that you've created at all times. That's interesting. So you're saying don't go at like a puzzle hunt version of a horror game. You could, and that's the hard part. I think if you could create really cool puzzle hunt things like if i go to a website and i find something that's like really creepy i think that could work but what i could argue is if you could throw that into the game itself like at, at usb's format right like you get articles and email stuff but it's thrown into the files that you're unlocking 
then I think that gives it enough of a feel that you feel like you're getting things from all over the place, but it's stuck into one location. So I don't feel like I'm leaving that place. Yes. Um, but I could see a really crazy element of like a puzzle hunt that makes you keep going deeper and deeper into like different websites and creepy things. Yes. So I think another thing that they could do that we've seen with a lot of other games is I think you could prescribe what to do a little bit. And what I mean by that is tell me to turn the lights in my house off. Yeah. Maybe. Here's, here's a playlist that you should play. Yeah. Cause a lot of games do that. Yeah. A lot of games are already doing that. Yeah. Make almost make it feel like it could be just advice, but like you said, almost make us as rules, do those things. Like make right. us have to be in that aesthetic anymore. Almost like an escape room where you, you, you do have a choice in the day cause you're at home and really the, the creator's not there to stop you or are they, um, you know, but give them like rules of like, yeah, we recommend turning off your lights. We recommend this. Yes. We recommend doing this thing. Great example of that. Um, we're all, a lot of us that are fans of this podcast, we're all big fans of Spectre and Vox coming out Yeah, in the new year. Their version of the game that has the lights built into the set. Yeah. I remember them in the Kickstarter saying, turn your lights out, play this game with the low lit and do that. And I'm like, yeah, like that already has me amped up, yeah. even though I wouldn't call Spectre and Vox like a pure horror game. Oh, no, no I don't no, think not, so. Not at all. But that, but that's what I'm saying. I think, I think you have more permission as a horror creator to prescribe to your audience how to set the scene at home mm-hmm. than you do maybe with some of the other games. Because I think people are wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. Anything else, Zach, that you would say, I, I think this is what horror games can and should do. No, not not that I can think of off the top of my head. That's fair. That's fair. So then I want to move now into contrasting how we perceive these games versus a lot of the other, I would call them more adventure style games. Mm-hmm. Is, is the weight of these games any different? Like purely just me, you and me, like is a horror game going to always rank lower than an adventure game? Is there something innately about the horror genre that it's just, it's just not going to fly with us with how we both feel about horror things. I feel like it's going to be harder. I won't say it's going to be harder to impress us, but it's almost that thing that I go in being like, I don't know if I'm really going to want to play this game because the moment that I like get too scared, at least in my personal opinion, I don't want to play it anymore. Sure. Just because it's not my thing. But obviously I think we both are very, we're an equal opportunity when it comes to games. Yes. Like a good game, even if it's scary, I will love. Like, I mean, like I said, some of my favorite games that we've played or that we have not covered or we've played have had creepier elements because I think the creepy elements with good story writing can be even crazier. Sure. It's opened your imagination how to make the, you're confined to this space in your head almost of how creepy it can be or even physically, depending on the location and what you're doing, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's gonna be hard. I think for me, it's harder to keep me wanting to play because the creepier it gets, sometimes it's harder for me to stay along, especially if the cluing doesn't fit in super well, or if it feels like you said, like shoehorned too much, like to a crazy point, you know, or the immersion breakings too much. Um, but I, I mean, I'll take any good game if it's horror themed, if it's adventure themed, if it's true crime, if it's fantasy I, I don't care sure i think that's fair yeah i think the word that i come up with is he- like a hesitancy yeah just depending on like how horror how dark how 
how much you're going to push into the the bottomless pit that is the horror genre. Take that for better or worse. But I agree with you. Like some of the best games that we have played have been kind of creepier or had that to it. But a good game is a good game is a good game. I totally agree with you, and I don't I don't hold it against it. Um, but for our listeners, like you should play what you're comfortable playing with. Oh, agreed. Right. Like, and, and I'm, I, I always say like, if you think you're not a horror game, we can totally recommend some ones that are kind of like treading on that line in between and you can give it a try. Um, USB. I don't feel like there was anything that I was like, the general population should not try this. Oh yeah. Like I said, I think it's not like scary. It's like creepy. It's suspenseful, it's suspenseful and creepy. And I think that's a lot of the games we play. Really, none of them have been like almost like too much in terms of like gory or like yeah. make you feel like oh disgusting. Right? They're not. They're trying all to make just, you throw up. They're more just like keeping your adrenaline running and like thinking of what's coming next. Yeah. And that that usually plays well into it. So yeah, I would say definitely if you're looking for an at home scare or thrill during the Halloween season, give this game a try. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll you'll appreciate the narrative and you'll have a, a fun evening of having a scare and that's fun during this season. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our second section. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a Box Two. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience, head to your local Target to pick up Box One. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson Scott to ship you a copy internationally. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are in the part of our show now that we call Questions for Creators. And this is one of my favorite sections because we don't have to hear from us anymore. <laughs> and we get to hear from really the people that make all this happen. I had an interview earlier today with a, a really cool creator who we're going to have on the show next year. It's just this constant reminder of how kind our creators are, mm -hmm. how wonderful this community is, and just the unique perspective and ideas that come from each of them. It's just cool. Yeah, it's really fun. Our creators are just awesome, and uh, today is no exception for that. So I'm going to hop on in, and let's meet our creator today. So tell us a little bit about yourself before the existence of your company. Wow, me, who am I? Uh, so I was born January 5th on a cold Friday day in the North. Oh, no, sorry. That's not what you're asking. Uh, my name is Keith. Uh, I am a individual who uh, grew up believing that uh, his only skill was recognizing patterns and said to myself, how am I ever going to turn this into a job? And a couple years out of elementary school, I found a way to make myself happy by, you know, playing with patterns. So that's who I am. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the invention of your company and the game that you created, which is the Not Family Chronicles. Why'd you decide to do it? At the start of this little thing that we called coronavirus, uh, at this point, like, what is this, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Feels like, right? 
uh, I was kind of found myself at home with nothing to do. And I am a huge board game nerd, among other things. And uh, I had no people to play board games with. So one of the fallbacks that I always really enjoyed were the take-home escape room games. I always loved the take-home escape room games. So I ended up falling into the escape room scene backwards. Uh, So once I'd played all the games that I could afford in my general section, I knew just like everything else, there's got to be more out there. So I did some searching around, found some more, and just really enjoyed the puzzle so much that I decided I wanted to, you know, kind of take a crack at it. I don't remember the specific moment between my initial puzzle creation and when I said, hey, you know what, there's enough here that I feel like there's something I can move forward with. But on one day, some point during the start of the pandemic, when everybody was staying at home and panic buying toilet paper, I had enough puzzles and enough of a crazy idea that I said, all right, let's make this happen. And um, I am a absolute huge fan of horror, especially internet horror. So anything related to uh, spooky found footage and weird 4chan, you know, forms and stuff like that. And it kind of all came together in this beautiful little thing of me deciding what is the worst thing you can do uh, to your computer? And that is stick a foreign USB stick in it. And surprise, surprise, USB escape uh, came to life. And uh, that's how that's how it all started. Keith, why go with the USB as the means of delivering your game? I feel like you could have Google Drived us. You could have emailed us stuff. Why was sending people something in the mail the route that you chose to go? Right. I think there's layers to it, obviously. Um, The number one thing that you're told if you spend any time on the internet or playing around with computers or whatnot is that if you receive a USB stick and you don't know where it came from, don't plug it into a computer. You have no idea what's on it, what type of malware, whatever. Um, So there's like an inherent distrust from USB sticks showing up randomly. I mean, it's it's the equivalent of everybody knows, you know, you have to pack your own bag before you go fly on a plane. You know, don't let somebody else pack a bag for you. You don't know what's in there. So by leveraging that and my absolute adoration for things being creepy, um, kind of spawned this, I wanted to have a physical item because uh, there is a plethora of amazing, hands down amazing digital escape rooms out there. But when it's done and your money's spent and you're walking away from your computer, or even if you're going to a physical room and you've taken the picture with your group, you're you're not holding anything. Um, and I I figured, and this is the very much the truth, especially in the early days of when I was putting this together and deciding whether or not anybody would actually play this game, was if they hate the game, they have a USB stick that they can put their files and their homework on after they delete all my files off. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I, I said, you know what, it, you know, worst case scenario, somebody's there. So it was a little bit of the creepy lore around USB sticks and uh, a little bit of my insecurities around it. And I'm so thankful that I haven't heard of anybody hating my game, deleting it and just utilizing it to uh, store homework or work files or whatnot. It almost doesn't sound like a really dumb question, but why'd you pick the horror genre? And if everything, why go this route when there's a lot of people who go more the adventure type stuff like that? 
Right. So not to be the most disappointing answer to an absolutely amazing and insightful question, but I grew up without horror. Um, I was told by my parents right from a young age that you watch spooky movies, you won't be able to get to sleep. And uh, so I didn't watch my first actual horror movie till I think I was about like 18 or something like that. Uh, and I was just kind of scared out of my wits. And when I woke up the next day, not dead by, you know, whatever serial killer I had watched earlier that night, I realized, okay, this is where the fun is. Um, but I've never really gotten over that. I get scared so easily. And I think rather than that being a negative, I think that's a real positive. So uh, for, for you who've played the game, uh, without giving away too many spoilers, whoever people who haven't played season one, it's been out for a year. So uh, just under a year. So, you know, shame on you for not having played already. But for those who haven't played already, I'll spare the spoilers. Uh, the one of the the scene is, that is filmed, there is um, a transition from a very safe place to a very obviously creepy and not safe place. And the genuine reaction when I was pulling myself out of that, uh, because there's some videos and I do some acting. Um, and uh, when I was pulling myself out of that place, not to give away any spoilers, I had genuine fear because of the creepy nature of the actual environment I was in. I've grown up around creepy environments. I've been in a lot of creepy environments. I live close to a lot of abandoned houses and I'm, you know, never shy away from that. So I think I kind of put myself in these situations and I think how great that was after the fact, but in in the moment I'm just being immersed in, in, in horror in general. What other forms of horror do you enjoy? Are you a haunted house person? Is scary movies your go-to? How do you get your thrills or maybe get some of your inspiration for creating this content? I have never been to a haunted house. That is the honest truth. I I know, I know, I, I am disappointed in myself as well. I did one in-person horror escape room game and I was shaking, walking in, literally shaking. And when I, they took our blindfolds off when we were in there, the 16 year old who was working the escape room, manning the escape room, uh, I looked around and there was a bunch of dollar store horror, like uh, like Halloween uh, props and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, so I can wind myself up really easily. So. I probably should do some haunts. I'm aiming to do some haunts before Halloween this year. I've never done one before. And uh, it is 100% because I'm so chicken. I'm so scared. So what's in the future for USB Escape? I know we've talked a little bit about the future, um, but what things are coming on the horizon? And what can you talk about publicly to people or maybe keep as a secret? When I first putting this together... It was a little bit of trying to find my way as I was stumbling forward through the game. Uh, but as I was writing down ideas for season one, I was anything that had essentially been scrapped because it wouldn't have fit the the theme. It just seemed like adding too much to the, the world was kept in terms of notes and has been integrated into season two and season three. So I'm very happy to say that everything connects and initially I wanted to have three separate games that you could play individually without having to have prior knowledge, which you will to complete the games. It's not going to be a, a test of, you know, Hey, what happened on this date in season one, where you're playing season three, you can play them all individually, but narratively the, all the pieces of the story come together. If you read everything 
in the proper order as they they arrive. So season one uh, for the uninitiated, it follows around Owen Knott, and you've talked about this, uh, I'm sure, earlier in the show. And uh, season two is going to be following around his sister that he's been emailing across, Allie Knott. And then season three is going to be the mother who is dead at the start of season one, and it's a prequel. Uh, so all the information really tells you, okay, you know, what, what really happened, what's really going on. Um, and I'm really happy for like the conversations that we've got to have before we jumped on to, to actually do this, where we're talking about, you know, theories and stuff like that. Um, and I absolutely love hearing what people have to, what, what they think and what's going to happen in terms of the, you know, more granular details about what's going into the game for, especially for season two, cause that's going to be released fingers crossed November 27th of 2021 that's this year and what's been upgraded is everything so got better equipment for um season two I got uh, much better with skills in terms of how to put stuff together immersion uh I've been able to talk to amazing people like yourself got feedback from amazing people like yourself and uh season two is going to have things that are going to be as close to magic and um <laughs> demon summon summoning and possessions as humanly possible uh i'm very proud of the work that's being put in and i'm very proud of the narrative my one little you know this is a, a bonus for listening into uh this podcast is that i had a, a scene where there was uh an accident but an uh planned accident for the scene and I had a medical professional take a look at the scene and they said, I've seen that happen in real life. And that hurt me to watch it. So there's a lot of details that have been put into season two. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're a little bit squeamish, yeah, maybe just join us for season three. And Keith, we always ask our guests this question because we believe that speaking well about other people in the community just spreads the love. What other games are you playing? can be puzzle type games, board games, maybe even throw us uh, a great horror flick that we should go catch this Halloween season. Absolutely. I'm going to keep it pretty short, but go in deep with a couple of them just because I want people who are writing down furiously not to have to write down 20 things. Uh, so right now in terms of what I'm playing, I'm super in love with uh, the deck detective games. They're small box games. They're a little bit more mass market and stuff like that. If you were uh, a post that you want to do some more indie games and stuff like that it may not be your bag, but I love it because it's a great team building game. I love that you throw out information and it might be some vital information might be gone forever. Um, to be full disclosure, I do a little bit of work with them, but Scarlet Envelope makes amazing games. Uh, my one little claim to fame for that is that their most recent game, uh, that's game six that they released has a puzzle in it that's so good that I was mad I I got I got physically mad I had to like walk out I was like I I will never think of a puzzle this good if I had a million years to figure it out it's so good once you once you do it you'll be like that is the best puzzle I've ever seen so I got a shout out to them for sure and and they don't pay me to say that um not yet at least and then uh, finally, I really got a shout out whenever I can, Deadbolt Mystery Society, just because they were one of the original ones that I played that blew me away. 
I haven't played any of them recently because you guys are in the States and I'm in Canada and shipping can get expensive, especially when things are crossing the border and then the weight of boxes and stuff like that. But if Deadbolt Mystery Society hears this and is like, hey, you know what? You know who needs some really good games? A guy up in Canada who does those spooky escape room games. We can do some trades or we can figure something out because I love your games. Oh, and horror movies. What horror movies? I'm going to only recommend one for the spooky season, which is of the October. Uh, Hell House LLC. Personal favorite of mine. Found footage one. Uh, five friends open up a haunted house. And it's so beautiful because just like my games, there's no jump scares. There's no cheap tricks or anything like that. People act logically and still everything goes off the rails in the most beautiful and tense way possible. I love that movie. I'll watch it 10 times in a row. It's great. Check it out. Hell House LLC. Once again, somebody doesn't pay me to say that. Go watch it. Well, we just want to say thank you so much, Keith. It was a blast to get to play your game. Thank you. To get to have you on the show. We look forward to what you have coming out in the future. If you are interested in picking up a copy of USB Escape, please, please, please go to usbescape.com. Pick this up. This does mail from Canada. This game does ship internationally if you are not in North America, but be sure by the time this releases to do that ASAP and talk to Keith about whether he can get that to you if you do want to play before Halloween. Zach, what can people do to support us on our podcast journey? Yeah, uh, so what you can do is you can go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us on, and give us a five-star review. Just tell us that, you, you know, hopefully you've been enjoying the show. Leave us some comments. You know, you can go to our Facebook page, which is just at Puzzling Company, or our Instagram, which is at Puzzling Company. Go on there. You can leave us a like. You can leave some comments. Um, what you can also do is we love feedback. If you want to just send us a message that just has some feedback, like, hey, we really like this, but can you try doing this more? We're, we've been working a lot. We've gotten a lot of really good information lately that we're trying to work on. So hopefully here in the near future, uh, you guys will be able to see some of those updates that we've done. Uh, yes. We're really excited. We're about some super of those. excited about the new year. Yes. Uh, and stuff like that. But also if you just want to talk to us, we love the conversation. We've had some really good talks with people in our, in our DM stuff like that about uh, episodes that they were listening to or topics and how they felt. Uh, but yeah, we, we just enjoy chatting to all the great people that are in this community. Well, I think that is going to wrap us up for this week. Zach, what's happening next week on the show? That's a great question, Jared. Next week, you could say we are going to be exploring some different maps. Mm, some cartography, if yes. you will. Yeah, next week is Legend Game of Maps. Super excited about this game. Yes. Because I, you know, I mean, I'm a sucker for tangible. You are, for sure. And uh, we're super excited to get the opportunity to play that and to have their creator on the show. But that is going to wrap us up for this week. For Puzzling Company, this is Jared and Zach. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.